been a debate that has been going on since really the moment that Jesus died. Within three days, this debate began, and it is going still today. The, ba- the debate was, is Jesus really risen? Did he rise from the dead? And Paul even poses the question, what if he didn't rise? What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? We'd still be in our sins. Absolutely. That's, the, uh, that's a quote, actually, from 1 Corinthians 15, that we would still be in our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 and through 19 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. And all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are among the people who should be most pitied. If Christ didn't rise, what's the purpose of the church? Is there any point to it? I've heard some say that, well, it's, a, you know, it's better to live as a Christian, even if it's not true. I don't know, there's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of people that have suffered and died for their faith. If there is no life after death, if Christ didn't rise then not only is Jesus not a good teacher, he's immoral. He caused his disciples to trust him in a way that they gave up their lives for him, and people have been giving up their lives for him, have been persecuted for the church. Families were torn apart about faith. That's what he said. Your very families may be torn apart because you trust in Jesus. C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity worked this through. He said, you, there are some who are saying that Jesus is a moral teacher, a good moral teacher. That option is not left to us. If he did not rise from the dead, if he is not God, if he did not give us real hope, then what he promised us, everything that we just sang, which by the way is taken from the creeds, the creeds that the church decided in 300 and 400 A.D., this is what we believe and we will not deter from it. We would not be swayed. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead and we believe in the resurrection. But if Jesus didn't rise, they joined the liars. And if Jesus didn't rise, then I should have stayed in construction. But, if Jesus did rise. If Jesus did rise, then that changes everything. This isn't like a little fact in history. Boy, Jesus rose from the dead. This is absolutely the moment that all of us have to answer for. 
If indeed Jesus rose from the dead, and there have been people testifying since Jesus rose from the dead, starting with Mary Magdalene, that he is risen. And the church is here to proclaim it and proclaim it loudly. How can it be in the 20th century that the church leadership was wrestling with whether he rose or not? Did they, not, did they not know that their very existence as a church hinged on that one point? If Jesus didn't rise, then what's the truth of this book? And what's the truth of our Savior, and what have we given our lives for? Well, as we finish up in Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 to 53, we enter into this argument. They are in the middle of having a discussion of whether Jesus rose or not. Jesus had just come and visited these two guys that were on the road to Emmaus, these two disciples. And they returned to the disciples and told them. And that's how this passage begins, as they were talking about these things. Well, what was happening while they were talking about these things? They still weren't convinced. They weren't convinced. They were waffling between these two. Is he risen or isn't he? And something happened in this meeting. Something happened that changed their perspective. And even though Jesus would depart by the end of this passage and leave them, they moved from sorrow to joy. And their lives were radically changed. First, I want to see that uh, Jesus is lifted up. And as we begin this passage, we're going to see that Jesus is risen physically and spend a little time on what the importance of the bodily resurrection is. So beginning in verse 36, and we'll read through 43 for now. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they, they were startled and frightened and thought he was a spirit. But he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Arise in your hearts. See my hands and my feet, that, is, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And when they still disbelieved for joy, and, were mar- and, they were, and, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while, you were st- while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead and that the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus is risen physically. What are they talking about? Well, they are surrounded with doubt. They are surrounded with disbelief. They have only heard testimony of it, and they haven't experienced it personally, this resurrection. And Jesus stood among them. This is not the first or the last time that it mentions that he moved bodily. He moved 
in a more kind of spiritual way. And Luke doesn't tell us what his body's like at this point, but clearly Jesus wants them to know that he has a physical body. But he moves into their presence in a remarkable, miraculous fashion and departs from them in a remarkable, miraculous fashion, doing things that maybe we can't do, but he comes into their presence, stands among them, and says, peace to you, shalom, shalom to you. Now, in this time, in the first century, shalom was a greeting. It was like, how you doing? Hello. You use shalom for hello and goodbye. It means peace. It means so much more. When he says shalom to you, shalom um, is a Hebrew word meaning harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. And he says shalom to you. In essence, he's saying, I have purchased these things for you. I came here to bring you real peace in your heart, in your soul. How do we know that Jesus is risen? Have you experienced that peace in your soul? Like I have? Do you know what it is in your soul to have wholeness, harmony, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility? Shalom to you from the risen Savior. The first proof is in our own hearts. He's going to show them a peace that remains in their hearts in spite of going through persecutions, in spite of going through trials, in spite of all the difficulties that they're going to experience. And these 11 guys that he's talking to are going to experience difficulties unlike what we experience, at least me. And yet he extends a peace to them that is eternal and makes no sense. Peace to you. Verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and thought he was a spirit. Is this a bad thing for them to think that he's a spirit? No, I don't think so. I think that heaven is spiritual and there's a spiritual side to our bodies and that's okay. But it's significant to Jesus that he points out, I am not just a spirit. What would they think when he's just a spirit? They might think like today. And what are the thoughts of today about when people die? Well, I'm there in the wind. You can feel me in the wind. Or when the leaves turn, think of me. And when this occasion happens or a song comes on, I'm with you. It's spiritually speaking, it sounds like he's going to remain with us as long as we remember him or think of him or feel him. And Jesus wants you to know that the resurrection is far more real than that. It is not just a promise of, what we hear in funerals all the time these days. Yes, you're gonna, he's, in a, he's in a better place. We don't know what that is. Sitting on a cloud with a harp. Whatever descriptions have been made, there's nothing like what Jesus is in the resurrection as he says to us, we will follow him in that resurrection. It is physical. It is spiritual. So when he's, they say he's a spirit and they're afraid, they're thinking that he is a ghost almost to haunt them. And they're afraid. Well, Jesus' response declares that he is both physical and spiritual, that his soul is raised and that our souls will be raised in Christ as well. So here's how Jesus responds to their question about being a spirit. 
He said to them in verse 38, Why are you troubled and why do you doubt? Arise in your hearts. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. And we know from another passage that the hands, he shows the holes in his hands and he shows the holes in his feet. He even lets Thomas put his finger in his side. You want to know, you want to see the wounds. He is still in a human body. He's still in a physical body. The resurrection is bodily resurrection. See my hands, my feet. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said that, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And he gave them broiled, he gave them broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. Did he eat because he was hungry? Probably not. He ate to show that I am human. I am in human form. I am in the resurrected body. I am changed. It's eternal. It's unmarred now. But you still see the scars of what I suffered. In the first century and the second century, there was a a heresy that rose up called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism believed that there were two equal opposing realms. There was the spiritual and there was the physical. And in the spiritual, that was good and the physical was bad. And they suggested that our human bodies were bad, that everything physical was bad, that Jesus, in physical form, only was there till he died. And he came in that body, but it was repugnant to him And that God could not have created this world. This world happened. But God is spiritual and we move towards spiritual. So they taught Christ, but they did not honor the resurrection or the crucifixion as important. And Jesus says, no, I'm I'm bodily. This is bodily form. Resurrection in human form. What does that mean? That means it was good from the very beginning and that God created us and God created this world and it was good and he came not just to redeem us out of this mess, he came to redeem this mess. The theological importance for us of the, of the bodily resurrection of Christ is that we live today with significance. Some of us might be tempted to believe that we are just to endure today until Jesus returns and then we can have glory. That's not the teaching of the Scriptures. The teaching of the Scriptures is eternal life begins at the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that we live now and should be alive now and should put on display the things that God is doing redeeming our body. Our bodies are important. You can learn from 1 Corinthians that we don't treat our bodies as if we waste them. You can't do sexual sin and not have it affect you spiritually. Your human body matters. And it will be traded in one day for a future one. In my lifetime, I have heard many people say, I would rather just die and go. I have heard Christians entertain the idea of suicide. That is not a resurrection thinking. It's not resurrection thinking. We are already raised with a purpose now. We, like Paul, say that it's both good to stay for the work that he's doing, but it's good to depart and be with the Lord. Philippians 1. When Jesus rose physically, there's another piece to this that is so glorious that it's beyond me almost. God, 
the second person of the Trinity, took on human form and continues with the human form. What a glorious story. How much is the Father's love for us that he would die for us, that he would be raised, and that he would be the first fruits of the resurrection and that we get to join him. This is why we can say light and temporary afflictions today. Because of the hope that we have in Christ. Do you understand the hope that we have in Christ? Of the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, that means that we're not only awaiting a day that is glorious and beyond compare, but the day is now. And that we live in resurrection power now. Why is it that the church runs and hides when we have a moment in time that we get to exalt the risen Savior. Jesus is risen physically. Jesus is risen publicly. In verse 44, you see, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is the second time in Luke that he is acknowledging in the resurrection story that this has been God's plan throughout the whole Old Testament. But here we're talking about testimony, witness. The scriptures have witnessed to the fact that Jesus would rise. And he shows them in the Old Testament that this is true. And he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That this was God's plan, that Jesus would rise. He goes on to say, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that for repentance forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The witnesses... Begin now. Now, I would think that if Jesus wanted to have a really good group of witnesses that would proclaim the resurrection, I would think that he'd shoot a little bigger than this. The 11, some of the women that walked with him, some of the other disciples are there. He's going to see a group of 500. Why not go back to the Temple Mount and declare it where everybody can see you? Why not do it in the 20th century when you could have a video on it and everybody can see it on their TVs? Because if everybody saw it on their TVs, they'd trust it, right? If he went individually to each person raised and said, I am raised, put your hands in my... Would everyone believe? The answer is absolutely not. Even if one rises from the dead, they won't believe. And yet, he has a plan of taking these few and sending them out to tell about the resurrection. Can you imagine their first conversations? What was so compelling that the church would still be around today as these guys and women begin to talk about the resurrection? Why was the world turned upside down by this truth if the resurrection didn't happen? Chuck Colson says this. I love this quote. He's a guy who knows what he's talking about. I know the resurrection is a fact, 
and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put, to pr put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. When they came and proclaimed the resurrection, not only were they proclaiming it with the, an absolute certainty that Jesus was raised from the dead, their lives were changed. They were no longer the same people that they were. I mean, that's probably the most compelling argument. I loved doing youth ministry because you'd see a kid believe in Jesus Christ, and then they'd go home, and this kid who used to be obnoxious and used to be, well, kids will always be a little bit obnoxious, but <laughs> used to be so derisive towards their parents, all of a sudden start showing respect to their parents, and the strongest argument for the resurrection is their student, their kid. And so goes the church. It's changed lives that proves the resurrection. It's radically changed people that, if you follow Chuck Colson's story, he was, during Watergate, he was part of Nixon's cabinet, and he moved with power at the time and only wanted power. He also moved with dishonesty. He also deserved the prison time that he got. And while in prison, he became a believer in Jesus Christ and did prison ministry the rest of his life and considered himself rich to be in prisons witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ instead of in the White House wielding the power he used to have. It's not just the disciples. It's every generation people rise up and declare that I have been changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he's not raised, there is nothing left of Christianity. But if he's raised, there is no point to anything else in life outside of the resurrection. We do everything in Christ. He goes on to declare that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And how exciting is it that we have the Holy Spirit who moves in us and changes us and gives us that shalom and gives us that power. This proclamation that goes forth is in the context of changed lives and the power of the Holy Spirit. You will be witnesses of the things that I do. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father. This is verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In the fall, we will pick up the rest of the story. Luke is, a, is only half of the story that he wrote. He wrote Acts also. And in September, we will begin in Acts. And as you see the beginning of Acts, the disciples are waiting in Jerusalem for this power to descend. And it descends on Pentecost with the power of the Holy Spirit. And not only are they radically changed, Peter begins to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit and Jerusalem is turned upside down and the world has been being turned upside down ever since. The power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, the promise. This is the witness 
of the resurrection. Not only that, later on in the summer, we will be doing a series on the Holy Spirit starting on May 30th. You'll hear from the elders, you'll hear from others, but we are going to bring up the Holy Spirit and ask, is the Holy Spirit alive in our church and are we empowered by the Holy Spirit? And what does that mean? What does it mean to serve in the context of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to bear fruit from the Holy Spirit? And I'm excited about that series. But before we get to that series, we're going to spend five weeks on the resurrection. And we're going to look at what the resurrection promises both now and on for eternity. Do we live in the context of the promise of the resurrection? Do we make decisions today? Are we making decisions like the Gnostics that we are just going to survive this until God takes us home? All of this is evil. All of this is bad. What's the point? It's, it's worthless time, right? Or are we going to live as if the resurrection is now and we're here with a purpose and we are his witnesses of that resurrection? Jesus rose publicly. In Colossians 2, verses 12, it says, having been, speaking of Jesus, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Present tense, we who believe have been raised with Christ. In Romans 6, 3 through 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, buried through, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When do we walk in newness of life? Now. And then. We are the living examples of those who have been changed. How did the church flourish? One generation at a time, one Christian at a time, declaring the excellencies of our Savior. One changed person at a time going into work and going into their neighborhood and going into their home and saying, I am no longer the person that I was. He is risen. And I live in the context of resurrection power. For my story, many of you have heard it, and I won't go through the whole thing, but I have to tell you that prior to 14 years old, the trajectory of my life was rough. They didn't trust me at home, they didn't trust me at church, and they didn't trust me at school. And I would argue that they shouldn't. If I were to just have you read my yearbook from freshman year of high school and my yearbook from senior year of high school, I would offer it as proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He radically changed me and had me leading prayer groups and Bible studies and when I invited people to come to church they wanted to come because I was changed and I just heard a praise God and praise God is the right answer not praise Todd right 
Because if he's raised, he's the one who provided this power of change. When he was raised publicly, amen, when he was raised publicly, he wasn't just raised for them, he was raised for us. Do you believe? Jesus is also risen gloriously. Verses 50 through 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This offers a little different dynamic to the story of while they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. The time frame from Easter to Pentecost, from Passover to Pentecost, isn't that long. And while they're waiting in the upper room and praying, they're also going into the temple and glorifying God. And they're doing it with great joy. They're completely changed already as they place their trust in Jesus Christ and in the resurrection. They had placed their trust in Jesus Christ, and while they were waffling and sitting over here and he had died, they were scared, they were running, they had failed. I mean, as far as a group that's going to begin a new movement, new anything, to be honest, they're a mess. They're arguing, they're frustrated and they're unbelieving. Why? It wasn't just because Jesus died. Because Jesus left after the resurrection and they're rejoicing. They're depressed and they're discouraged and they're fearful because they aren't changed yet. They haven't believed. But when they believed when they understood that Jesus was raised and when they owned that, they were so radically changed that even while they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, they're going into the temple and they're praising God. They can't stop praising God. Almost like the best kept secret. They're told, hang on, don't say anything yet till the Spirit comes. But they're bubbling over. Have you bubbled over? And your faith, have you been so excited about what Jesus has done for you that you want, you couldn't not tell? I remember one time I was, this is early on in my faith, I'm, I'm walking to Crocs and Brentano's to work. I'm 16 years old. It's my first job with a paycheck that takes taxes out. I mean, I'm, I mowed lawns and stuff, but I'm walking and I witnessed to someone on the road, scared to death, I walked up to them and I tried to tell them about Jesus Christ. It went really poorly. Thought I was weird as can be, like cuckoo. Okay, have a good day. I feel like that's the last time I talked to the guy. And I don't really remember, unfortunately. But I went to work and I'm in the back room and I am rejoicing in my heart. The risen Savior is alive in my heart and in comes the person that I work with and says, Why are you so happy? So you know what I said? you wouldn't understand. She said, try me. That's a little embarrassing. And then I told her. I told her about Jesus. The one who saved my soul. 
Why do we have a hard time testifying about Jesus? I think it's directly tied to resurrection power in our lives. And living beneath what we're called to. I don't want you to know only about what's promised in the future. I want you to know what's promised today. He took them out, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Jesus had promised before he died, the night before he died, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And that promise is so exciting for us as Christians. But today, in 2021, why are Christians so scared? Why are we living as if God is not sovereign and that the resurrection still isn't true? Why are we waiting for someday when today is the day we are to live in resurrection power? Why are we not rejoicing? Were the disciples going to be persecuted? Of course they were. But they weren't rejoicing in their room. They were rejoicing at the temple. And when it came time to declare the excellencies of the risen Savior, you couldn't stop them. They tried. Radically changed. Are you radically changed by the gospel? If Jesus is raised, well, Paul entertains that right after he entertains if he's not. Let me read that for you. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 15, the things that he said were true if he was not raised. Jesus wasn't raised, neither will we be. Preaching is vain. Faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Christ perished and stayed dead, and we who are Christians are to be pitied the most as we live our lives in the shadow of the resurrection. But, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. How did Paul know it? How did Paul know that Jesus was raised? Well, he met him on the Damascus Road. It was personal, but it radically changed his life. Somebody once said of C.S. Lewis, the most converted man that they ever knew. All that means is someone who is changed by resurrection power and I don't know who can claim most converted. I just know I want to be in the running. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But as, for as by a man came death, but, a man, but by a man has also come resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. The creation story began with everything good. God created and it was good. At that point that they breathed, that, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit breathed life into Adam, they chose to give up life on the cross. And our story is a hot mess. But Jesus came to redeem this world, individuals, 
and through his death and resurrection has made resurrection from the dead possible for everyone who believes. Some have suggested in my lifetime, don't get too crazy about your faith. Don't get radical. Keep it in its proper place. I mean, you've got to still work in the world and get along with people and be a sports fan and no politics, and then there's room for this Jesus thing. Let me make an argument that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, don't add Jesus to the story. Go do those other things the best you can. Die like the rest of us. But if Jesus rose from the dead, there is only radical Christianity. There is no other thing. Do you live as if he's raised Do you live as if one day you're going to be able to stand and touch him and thank him and be completely known by him and know him completely? Do you live as if you can know him more today? Dear friends, I am preaching today a risen Savior from a person who is being changed by the resurrection power afforded to me through Christ. And my prayer is that we would rise up in faith and declare the excellencies of our Savior together. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, if he is not raised, my prayers are vain. And yet I pray with the confidence of one who knows that he's raised. Would you forgive us for our sins? We turn from them. Would you give us purpose through resurrection power? Would you restore power to the church through your power of your Holy Spirit? Would he descend and fill churches? I've heard it said that our nation is post-Christian. Heavenly Father, would you fight against that so that the next generation isn't lost while we stop testifying for the resurrection. We desperately need you to do a new work. In Jesus' name, amen.